who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today, from divorce to call-out culture to masculinity to girls' confidence. Season two of Thread the Needle finds the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. The power of the dog, the green knight, and licorice pizza, I think, are just some (laughs) of the movies we will not be discussing in the IGN UK podcast Alternative Movie and TV Awards 2021. I know. I've managed to not do licorice pizza. Um, A, too obvious for me. Exactly. I'm uh, not only is it too obvious for me, but B, not actually out in the UK till next year. So, you know, I'm going by the rules. By the rules you've set that we didn't discuss (laughs) By the rules none of us have actually discussed. Uh, I am joined by Simon Cardi, as you can hear, and Matt Perslow. Hello. We're going to run down three awards each that you won't see popping up on any of those boring, humdrum, run-of-the-mill awards that we and so many others give out at the end of every interminable year. Best director. Um, Who cares? Why (laughs) would you care? No one even knows what a director does. As far as I understand, they just put their their thumb and forefinger across from each other to make a little square and look through it. And then go, can we do that again? Yeah, that's yeah. A, yeah, and if you're David Fincher, you do it loads, which I reckon is just mm-hmm. he's paid by the hour, Fincher. <laughs> fucking ninety takes, twenty thousand dollars more like Finch. I got your fucking number. It does turn out good, um, though, doesn't it? It's all right. Yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> Apart from Mank, which I haven't seen, but looks boring as fuck. I enjoyed uh, it. <laughs> that might have even won an award. Year? Was that, that last year? That was last year. I might have even given that an alternate award last year. You probably did. You probably did. Because you're alternative, aren't you? <laughs> oh, I do try. Kind of a guy. I do you're try. Like a 90s band. Uh, right. <laughs> here's, uh, here's the first of many awards that we're going to give out to some of our favourite and occasionally most shitty things of 2021. Aww. But we're going to start positive with Matt. Matt, what you got? I have got the Bastards I Love to Hate award. Oh, this was one of the awards I almost had. I'm glad you've taken the mantle. Yeah. So there we go. This is, of course, to Succession, a show 
that somehow seems to work incredibly, like, better each season, despite the fact I don't like a single character in the entire show. <laughs> like, I sometimes speak to people and they're like, oh, I love Tom. I love Greg. I love mm. Logan. I love Kendall. I don't like any of these Does characters. anyone love Logan? I hope <laughs> some people do. I think they're all awful. And that's the reason why the show is yeah. brilliant, because it somehow makes the mm-hmm. worst people in the world so compelling to watch. It's so unbelievably good. I feel like we should actually preface this. I don't think we're going to be spoiling any TV or films here for people. So don't. No. I'm not anywhere in my awards. So mm. don't worry if you haven't seen or watched any of you're planning to. Do listen to this podcast. We're not going to spoil anything for you. Um, yeah, we're not going to spoil Succession because why would you want to? Because that season finale was unbelievably good. I didn't think like a top season two's finale, but I think they may have done it. I think they did. I also think the interesting thing about this series is I actually started more downbeat on it than I have, you know, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, than any other succession. I was like, oh, the way, the kind of the single plot line element where everyone's working towards one thing yeah. just felt much less interesting than how succession had worked as like this grand, like horrific soap opera for a few seasons. And then they just deal with it, like yeah. without giving stuff away. They just. They changed that plot line completely mm-hmm. into something that you were never but, expecting. And then, like you said just before we started, those first, those, sorry, those last three episodes of this season uh, are among, like, some of the best, like, they're just mini arcs aping of TV the Godfather. And what more do you want from anything? <laughs> I mean, like, and you say they're the most despicable bastards. I can't remember what the exact phrasing of this award was. It was something along those lines. I agree. <laughs> but the they also do this hate. thing. Like, Jesse Armstrong, the creator, is just a genius. He does those, like, from episode to episode, you do kind of, like, kind of think maybe these people aren't too bad like there's points in this show like the first few episodes um roman i was like oh maybe mm. he isn't maybe he is a bit human compared to the rest then halfway through that season you're just like oh no he's awful <laughs> he's, awful. he's an actual <laughs> fascist <laughs> yeah. um like yeah the thing like, i really like about those the way those arcs work is that so for example a big part of this season you know sort of like if you've watched season two you'll understand that at this point Kendall is like in a position where he is kind of digging up the the dirty laundry has been dug up about this company and he is in his mind doing what he thinks is the right thing he's standing up for the abused and he's going to bring his dad he's not really doing it for that like he all of these ideas that they've got that you think he's gonna make this character redeemable all comes from a root of like corruption and power and mm-hmm. like the absolute like destruction that capitalism brings. And I fucking love it because as a show, it is the ultimate like fuck you to capitalism and sort of like how massive kind of corporations destroy mm-hmm. the people within it and every sort of tendril that it touches. Like sweet Greg is now awful. <laughs> Everything about Everyone Greg is awful. Is I can't remember awful. the phrase uh, the phrase used, but like him desperately like actually thinking that being the t- what was it the top of the middle to the bottom of the top mm-hmm. is like a meaningful change in his life and like how good oh. that would be it's um, there's a yeah. i won't say why it's happening but there's there's like a plot line in this season about greg trying to sue greenpeace and it's <laughs> oh my such God. a wonderful like encapsulation of that character it's uh, so funny. Every time that comes back, you've forgotten that he's suing Greenpeace and he'll mention it to just someone those, else. Like, just those, everyone has their one thing they bring up that, like, every time they mention it, I just laugh. It's the same with um, Tom. Anytime he mentions the prison blogs, I just, I just laugh. Oh, my been, God. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Don't worry. We haven't spoiled so, anything. <laughs> I think another award you could give to Succession in this show is, like, 
most interesting plot lines done completely off screen. Mm-hmm. Like the number of things that happen in succession that you never see. Yep. Like everything down to like what the fuck has happened to Sandy uh in this yeah, just, in this series. Like yeah. he's there's a character who is in the first series and he pops up very briefly in the second and in this series he's in a very different state for reasons that you're just never told about. Mm-hmm. And it gives like this like texture to this world and like that there are things going on behind the scenes that you don't get to see. It's so cool. It's, it's the best thing on television, but I think quite it's a distance. Like for me, like, it's wild. I can't wait for it to come back. And did you have any uh, contenders, any runners up for this award, Matt? Was there anyone you were? I mean, there's not another. That's the thing that so, I love about it so much is it's it's completely. It has this conviction about the sort of story it wants to tell mm-hmm. and the sort of characters it's exploring. And it never once gives into the idea of like, well, we need someone for the audience to root for. It's like, no, mm. there's not a single person. And I love that like Jesse Armstrong is so like mm-hmm. sticks to his guns on that. And obviously he's had like experience, like, because obviously he wrote some stuff for the thick of it, which again largely is a, a group of characters of which none of them are really redeemable. Well, similar with Peep Show, they're all they're Peep not good people. Similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, and I, I just love that, like he's almost taken that to like the extreme that it can be where you're dealing with what are essentially the Murdochs, right? Like it's a, it's mm-hmm. a parody of kind of that, that side of the media and the families, and just the fact that this one goes, there's a lot to do with power above their stations in, in this kind of season, and I just love it, what an unflinching examination it is of that world, while also still being like it's a genuinely hilarious show. There are points in this where I've laughed more than most comedies, even Mm -hmm. though it's, even though literally one of its main character actors doesn't realise he's acting in a comedy. Like (laughs) it, it it runs that balance so well. It's it's absolutely genius. Like the when I was considering this order, I was thinking, oh, maybe Suicide Squad because they're they're not nice people. Like, and that actually that's a film that took me by surprise this year that I enjoyed far more than I thought I would. Um. But yeah, actually links to my award if we're moving on to that. I had another runner-up for that one, which would have been The White Lotus, which is full of horrible people, but was also an incredible TV show. And that is a runner-up for my award for Murder Mystery that actually wor- that I actually worked out and made me feel like a genius. Um, I'll tell you why The White Lotus isn't winning that, because I didn't work it out and I didn't feel like a genius. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That is How odd. the fuck is it a runner-up? Because it's, <laughs> because it's a murder mystery that was very, very good. and Did half of the job. If you didn't watch The White Lotus, the twist on the murder mystery, and that is right at the start of that show, you're told someone has died. So it's not you're not working out who the murderer is. You're spending this whole series working out which one of these people on this holiday resort is going to die. So it's kind of a the reverse. The mystery is who is murdered. murdered. Yeah, it is one of the best bits of television this year also a just an unlikable like cast of characters all like again quite a damning uh portrait of capitalism and sort of white entitlement and it's just it's funny it's like a really buying satire but it's also a good mystery at its core um which i really enjoyed but yeah i didn't work that one out so it's not gonna win um one I did actually work out, which I actually binged this past weekend, was Only Murders in the Building, mm. which is on is Disney Plus. I was lukewarm on it. I thought it wrapped up for it. Is it's got a very funny finale. So if you don't know what Only Murders in the Building is, it is Steve Martin doing his first thing in a good few years, and it's always good to have Steve Martin back. You've got Martin Short, 
and Selena Gomez, which is an un- unlikely team up, but um, they all live in this big New York apartment building, and there's been a murder in that building, and these are these three people all listen to the same true crime murder podcast so they they think do you know what we're gonna start our own one and try and solve this murder um Ah. and it's a comic it's mainly a comedy it's quite lighthearted. it's quite easy watching like it's not like a big like true crime murder like show it's it's a comedy drama but it's also got a good mystery at its core for parts of it i was a bit like can we like it's 10 episodes only half an hour each but i was a bit like we could have done this quicker it's a little bit meandering at times and I did work it out in the end who I thought it was, but it was less, it wasn't that satisfying because it was more like, I think it's this person because otherwise I don't know why they're in this show rather than it was like neatly breadcrumbed throughout. Like, it, I don't think it's a great murder mystery, but it's a very enjoyable program. So it's not winning. But the one that is winning is Mayor of Easttown, which came out quite a bit earlier this year. The Kate Winslet led murder mystery drama set in, is it Delco, I think, in Philadelphia? Now Philadelphia in Pennsylvania near Philadelphia, just unbelievably harrowing television. <laughs> um, I, I loved it. It is the opposite of Only Murders in the Building. Like there are a few laughs in it, but it's it's a very gritty, dark murder mystery about this small town. It's I think at the time a lot of people compared it, and quite you know it's a reasonable comparison to an American Broadchurch, if you watch Broadchurch on ITV, I think that was on. Um, It's just very good. And I I still remember the night before the finale aired, I texted a friend of the podcast, Lucy James, who was watching at the same time, with my theory. And then when it aired, and I got it like 98% spot on, I felt so clever. (laughs) And that's why, not only is this a good television programme, I don't know what that accent was... (laughs) It's the uh, audience, <laughs> South Africa podcast. Look, I, I, I can do a better South African than that, but I'm not doing that now. Uh, look, I'm off now. I'm coming in to do this podcast. I'm, I'm in holiday mode. But coming yeah. in. You're sitting in the same <laughs> fucking bedroom as you've sat in all year. I'm yeah. not having this coming in. Look, I just watched Moana. I'm, right. I'm on a high right now. Um, That's exactly what you do normally during your life. You're I, always watching Moana. Moana all day, every day. But yeah, the reason Mayor of Easttown's winning is not because only because it is an incredible piece of television, but because it made me feel clever, and that's what it's. That's what's important. I needed that mm-hmm, this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is. It genuinely is nice to see a murder mystery with a conclusion that you can work out yes. like through puzzle production mm-hmm. like there are so many tv shows that don't allow you that and that i'm not saying they're worse yeah but they're just a different thing but, but i do love those ones where it's like this is something mm-hmm. you can do like i had the it wasn't it was nowhere near as good but i watched netflix's the chestnut man this year and worked that out ahead of time and yeah. was like oh that's fucking cool that that's yeah like yeah. it gives you those so that's the problem with only murders in the building i think is that it kind of it's not really doing that. Like from the second episode, you'd have no clue who did this. Um, but like, it's more just like eight episodes of complete red herrings that are not linked to the case. You're just like, well, that was kind of like, you didn't, I didn't really have a chance here, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Mayor of Easttown, if you haven't watched it, do it. Um, here's one you can skip if you have been lucky enough not to see it. I've got a, an award. I'm calling it the K-Pax Memorial Award for movie most plausibly made by aliens. Um, a runner-up, which I've just thought of, is yeah. The Matrix Resurrections. Oh I don't know whether Lord. we will have discussed it on this podcast by the time you hear it, but uh, that oh film doesn't feel Lord. like it was made by humans. But uh, 
the winner of this award for me is Venom, Let There Be Carnage, <laughs> which I think might be one of the worst films I've ever seen in the cinema. And you've seen like, Matrix Resurrections this year. And I've seen <laughs> Matrix Resurrections and Mr. Deeds. Which, <laughs> no, not Mr. Deeds. That's the Adam Sandler one. What's the Jeremy Piven one where he's like some sort of dickhead? Anyway. Entourage? Uh, I can't <laughs> he's, no. he's one in that, isn't he? I don't, he's one. <sighs> Someone will write in. It's yeah. fucking. T- that is actually the worst film I've I'm ever gonna seen. I'm going to find it now. But Venom Let There Be Carnage gives it a run for its money uh, by being a film in which literally none of the dialogue rings true. None of the acting feels like it was performed with any sense of knowing where the end of the scene was. Um, the plot is held together <laughs> by fucking carnage goo. And like, uh, it's just, it's honestly one of, it makes no sense to me that any intelligent person was involved with making that film at any point. Like the best and most coherent bit of it is the post credit scene where it just goes, by the way, Venom's going to be in the MCU, mm-hmm. fuck off. Um, <laughs> like, or might as well. I haven't actually seen Spider-Man while we're talking, but I'm assuming that's what it's communicating. And I'm telling you, that's the most coherent bit of this film. It's, um, you say it's made by, I, you can't believe humans made this, like... We're, we're lucky enough. To, so no, we're lucky enough to have met him. Lovely, very intelligent man. What's he doing? It, it feels <laughs> like Andy Circus was either like stepped on by studio committee bullshit, mm. or had some sort of massive brain event while he was making <laughs> this. Because I, I don't understand how you could come out of this movie feeling anything other than like a deep regret for everything you've done for the past. Do you six think he was taking like the work? Planet of the Apes stuff too far and he he, he directed it as an ape. He was thinking how would an I ape make a be, film? Yeah, this could be Caesar's first movie cuz yeah, uh, man, I, I can't express to you how much I hated every second of this I, movie. I am and yet like, to see it. I really I really didn't mind Venom 1. Like mm-hmm. I didn't think it was good, but I didn't mind it. I watched mm-hmm. it. It's mixture of comedy and seriousness didn't quite gel for me but it like did plot point a to plot point b mm-hmm. to plot point c this film makes no fucking sense like there's a bit where carnage like plugs into a computer or it plugs into the internet and like works out where a secret lab is and it's like at no point have we ever learned that a fucking alien symbiote is also internet literate through like whatever his like jism arm is that he can stick into stuff it's fucking and that's woody harrelson right also it doesn't help yeah it is and also it doesn't help that i saw this literally the day after i got engaged (laughs) it's like i had the best day of my life and then the next day (laughs) that should have been a treat because isn't wasn't Venom One one of your fiance's favourite films that year? She yeah, Anna it. really, Anna really likes Venom One. So, I like, so basically, we the next day I was like, right, we, here's the treat now. I, yeah, here's, as a final part of the engagement, we can go and see Venom Two, and even Anna didn't like it. Like, uh. it's it's an absolute fucking disaster of a movie. It's awful, and like. Not in a good way. Like I would, I'm recommending that people watch Matrix Resurrections just to see what the fuck they've done to that franchise. <laughs> I can't say the same for Venom Two. It is fucking abominable. Don't bother. <laughs> the only thing that I've seen of of Venom Two that I had to go and ask people: Is this actually a legitimate screen grab from the film, mm-hmm. or is this a Photoshop? Is Venom apparently goes to like an LGBT rave? Yes, and um, uh, who's that? There's a new famous rapper lady who's in it. 
Um, I can't remember her name. She's very famous. Megan Thee Stallion? I'm no, just thinking of any new, not newish, no, big a, female from London. I've, I can't remember her name. From London. Um, I'm not cool enough. But uh, yeah, there's a bit <laughs> where like Venom just takes the mic from her and gives a speech about what? like finding himself. Uh, it's very, very misconceived. Like the whole, like, and that's, oh my God, there's just so much wrong with it. Like, it's a film so bad it makes mm. Stephen Graham bad, and I genuinely can't oh, think no. of a single bad Stephen Graham role in like the history of time. Mm-hmm. And in this, he's it, he can't, like it feels like he's like recoiling from the camera in every scene because <laughs> of what he's having to say. I mean, it's you've gross. All of them have got to make money somehow. I imagine. Oh fucking up! Yeah. This is it. It's going to be Stephen Graham's biggest payday of his entire career, and good on him for that. But. Fuck me, I hope he doesn't have to come back and do it anymore, because Jesus. I won't be watching uh, yeah, that really one, bad. I don't think. Uh, right. I believe everything after this is positive. I've got that out of my system. I didn't get to talk about it at the time. It's gone. Uh, Matt, bring us back up. So my next one is the best reaction to all this award. Uh, <laughs> right. Which is for Bo Burnham's Inside. Yes, one of my most listened to albums of the year, but obviously originally is is a Netflix comedy Mm. special um, that I really liked at the time. And we did discuss it on the podcast at the time, but it's just only kind of like increased in my Mm favour as time has gone. As I've just like listened over and over to those kind of songs and kind of like mined them for kind of like the, the hidden depths to it. And kind of it's weird, like in linking to Succession, Succession is very much like a like a damning sort of like look at what the world is today through a very funny lens, of which quite a lot of Inside basically does that. It's a man that's mm. sat, you know, obviously not in that room because that room is clearly not where Bo Burnham lives on the amount of fat mm. stacks he's got. But <laughs> <laughs> having to live like inside for a long time and obviously just be able to think about how you're going to frame an awful lot of issues through the lens of comedy mm-hmm. to the point where it's, and it's like, it's, it's both self-reflection and reflection of the rest of the world. And it's so funny the way he does it, but it really like hits true in a way that kind of does have like a sting in the tail. That's just like, Oh, some of this is actually really quite sad and profound, but mm. also like incredibly joyful at the same time. And I think we, um, Obviously, for the actual main awards, had to vote for who we thought was best director. I actually put Bo Burnham in for this over Denny Venu. And obviously, I really like Dune, and I think Dune is incredibly well mm-hmm. directed. But I have not seen a comedy special that's like Inside. And I think it's such like an incredible thing to produce mm-hmm. out of a time of great kind of turmoil. I yeah. just like I really like as a piece of creative work I incredibly admire this like yeah. I love it so much it's unbelievable I think the week it came out I watched it at least three times um, mm-hmm. like I know you can just put the album on but I just I was thinking anytime I was thinking of putting the album on I was like oh, I might as well just put the actual Netflix thing on uh, but yeah it's it's so good like yeah you've got me wanting to watch it again now it's genius and just the Jeffrey Bezos song for me comes into my head all the time like it's it's so short in comparison to that whole thing but I just found it very funny and I'm also having the sudden realisation that I will soon also be turning 30 in about two and a half months and yeah I'm going to have that moment uh, that he had and I will almost definitely watch that the day the night I become there <laughs> and really relish in 
all melancholy available. You know, turning 30 is like, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I know. I don't really care, but that's he bit, made me, that, he made me care. That's a bit that annoyed me in that, because I was just like, oh, fuck, grow up. <laughs> like, come on, mate. Like, there's bigger problems that you are talking about. The 30 thing. No, no, no it's a, all right. it, it could have been the end. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely genius. I don't think there's much more to say about it than that, that, than it's one of the best things of this year. Um, I can't believe that was this year, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long one. Um, I've got an award now for... Go. The award for... So, we've like it's linked to Inside. We've been basically, you know, not stuck inside for almost two years now, but, you know, not really be able to go anywhere. And one of the things I love most in this world is to travel. And top of my list of places is to go to New York properly. I've only ever been to New York for a day before, and I want to do a proper trip to New York. So this award is the film or TV show that I would most want to visit in New York, <laughs> visit New York in it. <laughs> right. Okay. So not necessarily the best thing that was set in New York, but the one where I watched, it, I was the like, I'd like to be there York. right now. Um, yeah. So this is a stacked, stacked category. I will tell you that. Uh, runners up succession. Not a lot of this season actually set in New York. I also wouldn't want to be part of their world. That's not winning. Nah. <laughs> Number two, West Side Story, one of the best films of the year. Their depiction of West of uh, New York, though, it's not an area and a time of New York I want to be at. It's not the 50s Mad Men New York. It's the other side of New York. I don't want to be a part of rumbles. Um, <laughs> number three, In the Heights. This was a runner-up, very close runner-up, In the Heights, another New York set musical that came out this year. Bit too hot for me. Very hot in that film. Sticky. Very hot. I'm not I'm not dealing with that. Last runner up, Spider-Man, No Way Home. I think we'll do a f- full spoiler of that at some point, so I'll keep it brief. I very much enjoyed this film. But, you know, bit much going on in the city at the time in this film. Bit dangerous for me. I don't want to be it. there. All, all superhero film New Yorks yeah. are like absolute well, death traps. My winner, though, you say that, my winner. Hawkeye, Christmas in New York. What more do you want? I want to. I want to go That's and see fair. the giant Christmas tree. I'm steering clear of you know the tracksuit uh, gang, whatever the tracksuit the track mafia. Suit mafia, yeah. Um, st- steering clear of all that, all all the arrows and the swords. I'm just going have a nice time and look at that big tree. So yeah, my Got winner is. I want to. Yeah, basically, this is me saying I wish I was in New York right now. <laughs> Christmas, yeah. Um, but yeah, just really been enjoying Hawkeye. By the time this is out, the finale will be out. We're recording this the mm. day before the finale. It's been, I think, a mixed year for Marvel TV shows. It's, I'd have Hawkeye currently as my second favourite. I've enjoyed it a lot. Uh, we'll see how it wraps up. I still actually have WandaVision as my favourite. I didn't necessarily like the way that ended, but I just enjoyed the ride the most. I think I liked what it was doing with all the like referential comedy stuff um throughout history and then loki i still enjoyed loki but i've just enjoyed hawkeye that bit more falcon and the winter soldier poor was poor Dog shit. um so um, yeah hawkeye wins for place i'd most like to be right now basically <laughs> i think like hawkeye's general niceness is exactly why i'm enjoying it I think mm-hmm. it's to me it's the best Marvel show. Like WandaVision really shot the bed for me. I was not I just mm-hmm. thought the end like did away with a lot of the goodwill I had from the start. Yeah. I need to go back and check it out. Um but the Hawkeye small scale thing feels like the best possible 
so far. We'll see what they do with the final episode. Um, like the best possible mix of like how do you do that ground level thing the Netflix series were trying to do, but give them a bit more impetus, like mm-hmm. a bit more connectivity and like some of that sort of connective tissue that makes Marvel stuff feel really exciting to a big nerd. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm really, I'm really enjoying that. It's that come out at a perfect time as well because you've got that ground of stuff. And then if you want the big MCU blowout cataclysmic events, mm. you've got Spider-Man in the cinema, which is doing the much bigger ideas sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, they're yeah. almost in direct opposition, right? Because the thing I really mm. like about Hawkeye is it's not trying to move the Marvel Cinematic Universe anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it's nice to, you know, both in the comics and in, in the MCU at large, it's just nice to get a story that's about that character rather than about what multiversal importance, you know, these events have. And like it's very it's a show that is both about a man trying to get over his trauma and grief and kind of work out sort of like how to repair himself. But the way that's done feels so naturalistic that it's almost like in the background of what's actually like a really fun, just joyous duo like mm-hmm. partnership. I think it's the more I think about it, which obviously I'm having to, because if anybody doesn't know, I review Hawkeye for the site and I'm currently putting together my thoughts for how what I think of the show as a whole. There's actually a lot of big ideas in Hawkeye, but it never like self-inflates its own grandeur mm-hmm. so you have to dig a bit to find that but when you find it like it does do some smart stuff it just never shouts about it in the way that like falcon and the winter soldier is a very shouty show about how much like it's all these lofty ambitions it has about race and america's position in the world and kind of you know refugees and terrorism and stuff like that and hawkeye has its own bigger ideas but the way it just kind of knows that they don't need to get in the way of it just being a fun superhero movie set at Christmas in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just yeah. very, very nice, very enjoyable. Still not sure if people... Like, some people will be waiting until the whole thing's out. You may have watched it, so I don't want to spoil it. But last couple episodes have been particularly good, I think. And even though I don't have as much connection to the characters they're revealing and stuff and adding to it recently, I'm still... It's made me want to go back... And I'm trying to say this as cryptically as possible. Go back and watch what I previously missed. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's very, just very good. And yeah, maybe next year I'll be in Christmas uh, in New York for Christmas. That'll be nice. Well, from Hawkeye, which I believe is a one series deal, Ooh. to another one series deal, definitively. <laughs> um, this is the best TV show at making me nostalgic for something I have actually quite little fondness for. Uh, which is Midnight Mass, a film all about being a big old Catholic. Oh, we have um, very similar categories here. <laughs> this is going to be a big... Like, I have not got Midnight Mass as a winner, but I'm sorry if you are devoutly Catholic. That's all I'll say. <laughs> um, I, yeah, so I grew up Catholic. I am mm. less... Let's say less so now. Um, but I did, I did the whole deal. I, uh, yeah. I, I was an altar boy. I did mm-hmm. all the big. You drank the, big the blood processions. of Christ. Christ. Yeah. I drank a lot of blood of the Christ. Yeah. Um, and it's all real. It's all real if you're a Catholic. It's real blood. Um, and uh, and I carried the candles and I mm-hmm. did the thurifer stuff, which is swinging oh, the God. incense about. That's all those much. things. Yeah. I was pro- proper into it. Um, and uh, in, I say into it, I was proper yeah. in a family that was into mm-hmm. it. And then you found um, Dynasty Warriors. <laughs> Dynasty Warriors changed everything, and I became a Shintoist. Um, uh, I don't even know if there's any Shintoism in Dynasty Warriors. Um, 
yeah, but Midnight Mass is a it like is a show that doesn't just like revel in the details of Catholicism, but like mm. sort of wallows in them and use that uses them as big ways to get its horror story across. Mm-hmm. Um, and like not in a not in a wholly negative way. Like it would be very easy to watch this show. Like my dad, who is still a practicing Catholic, watched and enjoyed all of Midnight Mass. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't come away from it feeling attacked by it in any way. It's just sort of a rumination on what that religion is and does in a lot of ways. But the stuff that really got to me while I was watching it was like Flanagan has clearly like either been a part of that culture himself or has done a lot of research into it. I haven't actually checked. Um, and like there's tiny details that feel so redolent to me. And I'm like, I, why am I thinking about when they changed the Eucharist translations, which is a thing I remember in my life. Um, and like, I remember there actually being minor controversies over that, like, cause they changed some words in the mass and they mention it. And like, Something about that really just hit me immediately, and it's that like very mm-hmm. personal connection to incredible mundanity that I think works so well at giving you the sense that this community is like not a group of people in a horror story. They're a group of real people, and a horror story has come to their town, and you're watching like the effects swirl through them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like it's such a it, it. It doesn't matter if you don't know those references, yeah. and it doesn't I mean, matter I if those things yeah. mean nothing to you. But it does make a huge difference if you get them. And yeah. I think that's the perfect way of like dropping that kind of cultural cut touchstone mm-hmm. into a show. Um, and I just like that's part of what made Mad- Midnight Mass sing for me so much. Like it gave it this sense of realism and con- like connectivity and interest that I that I've not seen other shows do yeah. deal with other than shows about the problems or good things yeah. ab- about those things. It's not about Catholicism and the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. But it kind of is. It's about religion as a whole, really. Like, it uses Catholicism as its base. But yeah, it's kind of like about just humans, like, beliefs, like, yeah, what they will believe. Um, Yeah, Yeah. I think it's an absolute masterpiece. Like, when it first came out, I thought, this is very, very good. I wasn't quite as high on it. The more I thought about it, though, I do just think it's his best thing now. Although, like, the more I thought about it, the more I've watched things about it, the more I've seen it dissected. I just kind of want to watch it again now. Um, yeah, it's just there's a, amazing. If you're interested in like the religion side of things, like there's a really good personal essay on IGN by Jared Petty that's mm-hmm. about like his own religion and how it and how he felt it reflected in Midnight Mass. And I think that that says a lot of stuff more eloquently than I just have. But even if you don't care about that stuff, it's a really fucking good horror show. Like, yeah, it's not a particularly scary horror show. It's just a really good old fashioned horror story. Yeah. Um, and it uses that stuff to propel itself so beautifully. Exactly. It's I think we're being show. deliberately coy. If you haven't watched it, oh, you yeah. don't want it to be revealed what the true horror the truth, of yeah, this, the truth this of it um, is, is a big. But part I know that's it. a big part of why Matt loved it. Yeah, like there's, you know, it's it's a show that because I originally tuned in expecting it to be, I guess, something closer to The Exorcist and the idea mm. of kind of like where it kind of put its. Mm horror vibes into a religious kind of setting and it's not um what it does links into a interest i have in the catholic church and where certain ideas are kind of paralleled in other elements of horror and Mm. so for me that kind of reveal like 
happens what about a third of the way into the show maybe and yeah, yeah, it's like end half. of episode two start of episode mm-hmm. three yeah very much took me from a show that i've become more interested in from a dramatic standpoint to i'm now full in on it being a horror show and i adore there's almost a slightly del toro element to kind mm. of where it goes with that which i think is absolutely like incredible it also like it, it's been sort of mentioned that it's a very monologue show um, I never noticed that all the way through it just because of how organically it manages to build what effectively are monologuing characters mm. into a show that is very much about kind of like people investing in other people and like unburdening themselves of their problems and sort of like you know a, a certain segment of it is to do with a character that has an alcohol issue well that involves talking to someone and it allows mm. these beautiful monologues to come out that never feel like a tarantino kind of setup where you've just got a character barking to camera it feels like so natural and so kind of like beautifully organic as part of the show it's like incredibly well constructed it's also that flanagan knows how to shoot a monologue mm-hmm. like so many people would just put it on someone's face and zoom in and like some of those, particularly those AA scenes where you have two people effect, it's not a dialogue, it's two monologues going mm-hmm. on in tandem. And like the way he shoots those things and like odd compositions that feel like mm-hmm. something in that room is wrong, but it's not showing you what's wrong in it. Like just amazing choices all the way through. Yeah. Uh, I will also say, if Hamish Linklater was my priest, I'd probably still be Catholic. Yeah. That guy could fucking <laughs> I was about sermon. To, I was man. about to mention, yeah. Like, I think he was only second. Well, he won our performance of the year at IGN mm. in a TV show. He was only second to Kate Winslet for me. Like, yeah, he was. Um, like, and I had not seen him in anything else. Like before that, I did not know who he was. But yeah, mm. unbelievable performance. Yeah, He's watch so good. Midnight Mass. Only seven episodes as well, and done on Netflix. So yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Always good. I like a bit of Christmas horror as well. Like normally a ghost story, but this this kind of will serve that for you. I think. I think if it's a bill, I think it's yeah. a bill. Matt, your final category. Final category. Best TV show that's actually a set of movies goes to <laughs> oh, okay. Netflix's Fear Street, both mm. 1994, mm-hmm. 1978, and 1666. Um, I love that this is... that it, It's a, It works almost like a television show. It, like The way it was released was a weekly release. You've got a film each new weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, they all fit together to tell a single sort of story. But it never feels like a trilogy of movies mm. that kind of have their own kind of distinct standalone elements. They feel as a whole. Um, I'm not actually the biggest fan of 1666. I think the first half mm-hmm. of 1666 is actually bad. Yep. But as a whole <laughs> that comes together, I think this was a really great like gamble. I suppose to a degree, a little bit of a gamble by Netflix to make three movies and just assume mm-hmm. that it's going to work. Well, that's mm. the weird thing. So I, I kind of when I did watch, I watched it all like week after week. I was like, mm-hmm. this almost would have been better as six episodes. Like if they'd cut it even further in mm-hmm. half, I think, and done it like that. But I almost think. I, I definitely think for myself, mm. if they'd released it that way, I probably wouldn't have watched it. But okay. the fact that it had like this bizarre event style yeah like the (laughs) fact that it was an event and the fact that i'd never heard of anything like it made me go i'll probably give that a go like let's see one of these things and see and that's all it needs to hook Mm -hmm. you really and i agree with matt like i don't think as a whole like the story is an unqualified success but i'm really glad it exists because i love i think we've even i'm not sure whether we talked about this in real life or here but like i love that 
Netflix and other streaming services are allowing experiments like this to happen. Like, mm-hmm. take the form and fuck around with it. Like, when you first found out that, I think it was House of Cards was the first one where it was like, this episode's an hour, but this episode's half an hour. Like, they're not sticking themselves to yep. arbitrary advertising-related limits on time. So you have this sense of, like, everything works for the story first and foremost. And I love that it's still doing things with that. Yeah. I think the mm-hmm. second part was easily my favourite of the three. I loved that one. That was the uh, so, Friday the 13th. Yeah, I one. actually prefer 1984. I really like mm-hmm. the scream sort of element mm-hmm. yep. of, of those. And you know, to the point where I'm fairly sure that the music in that one is done by the composer that does scream. Um, and I like that because it almost is a bit of a scream homage, it sets up this idea of... Um, scary movies and the tropes of different horrors kind of then threading through this mm. universe that I really like the the almost tonal conflict of it. It takes its universe really seriously, but it presents it very, very goofily. Mm-hmm. And I love the way it does that. And it's, it's why I have a problem with 1666. I think it takes kind of a genre that's not very easily kind of spoofed mm. and takes itself way too seriously to a point where oh, it's I don't trying to be, think it's a trying lot to be of it the makes witch sense. that bit. And yeah. you can't try and be the witch. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't do that. And I I don't actually think some of the stuff it's trying to do as the witch actually makes sense for the rest of no, the show. It, that was an odd. That... I know they need to do it for the story, but I almost think God, you could have done that in five or ten minutes. Just just told us that story very quickly. Um, yeah, I would much rather that the 1660 stuff was told as a flashback rather than sort of presented as yeah. half a movie and then you get another half a movie at the end. It was odd. Um, but I agree with you. Like, like the, the Friday the 13th stuff, I think he's done very, very well. And I like that it goes... When it wants to go all out, the, this set of films goes all oh, out. There's some there great are, There's deaths. a wonderful <laughs> kill in 1994. But, I know exactly the one you mean. That one yeah. fucked me up. I hated it. <laughs> it's so good. But I think 1994 has more of the, like, it makes those set pieces where it's like mm-hmm. a single kind of moment. Whereas um, the second one, it just goes ham with that axe. It's just very, very happy yeah. smacking people up. Um, and it, just that joyful kind of, you know, it's a very, it's obviously based on the R.L. Stein books and they're not one-to-one translations of those books. But it does such a good job of holding that vibe of what that author brings to horror, kind of very much. None of the ideas in any of R.L. Stein books are his own. They're all kind of aping off, you know, movies and things that he's seen. But it puts his spin on it. And I think they bring that to life so well in this, while also making them very modern horror. Sort of like, you know, there's a little bit of LGBT in there. There's kind of like, you know, women are kind of like a key part of it. Um and I think all of that kind of fitted together in a package that I just found like such a cool experimental vibe and that TV show sort of aspect that worked, you know, as well as it did. I really hope that I don't need to see another Fear Street, but I would like to see Netflix do another thing where like, yeah, we've made a trilogy of movies and you're going to get them, you know, mm-hmm. one weekend after another. Yeah. Very enjoyable. Very enjoyable watch. Um, mm-hmm. My last award is kind of a bit bit similar to uh, Joe's last one. Uh, in, in fact, Midnight Mass is my runner-up. This is the things I previously avoided, like The Plague, but this show hooked me anyway. So yeah, Midnight Mass is the runner-up of the Catholic Church. Uh, I don't tend to get involved in much of that. Uh, I've seen Spotlight. Um, but the winner is Arcane for League of Legends. Um, oh, yeah. I just... League of Legends, anytime I see it, it, does absolutely nothing for me. The game itself, that is. Like, 
mm-hmm. noted K-pop fan and KDA fan. Love love they basically everything they do outside of League of Legends, but with those characters in that world. Still no desire to play the actual game itself, but Arcane, one of the biggest surprises for me of the year. Still can't believe how good the animation and the music like shouldn't really doubt Riot at this point, but just transported me into that world knowing nothing of it before instantly knew everyone what was going on like incredible world building and i just like season two of arcane is one of my most anticipated things now and again like structurally super brave like it does it does stuff with how that story is told that's like very very cool and very interesting and different and i just i like i'm exact in exactly the same places you like league of legends does absolutely nothing for me and i have actively laughed at how shit its lore is before and (laughs) somehow they've turned that into one of the most compelling animated shows of the year like and you know i say as a huge castlevania fan like gives castlevania a massive run for its money as like best video game adaptation i've seen it's it's fucking amazing Mm -hmm. um yeah what a like what a cool show yeah, and what a great idea! I mean, we talked about it loads only like a month or two ago, so I won't talk too much about it. But yeah, if you still haven't given Arcane a go, I think you'll be instantly hooked. It's like it's only ten episodes; they're like half an hour long each as well. They're not too long, I don't think. Like, yeah, it's just I think up up there is. And bear in mind, I just watched Moana, one of the best animations <laughs> I've ever <laughs> I've ever seen, I, especially I once it gets really- into like the. Th- like the first three episodes, very good, but once it does a little time skip ahead, then it really hits its stride, and I just, I just wanted more and more. Mm-hmm. Just less turn- Imagine Dragons in the next one. <laughs> Do you know what? I don't need them to. Appear. That should have been my I don't award. Need their music to be. That should have been my award. The thing that actually made Imagine Dragons bearable. <laughs> I don't think they're bearable because the skip button got some liberal use. <laughs> I watch the intro every time, but mainly because oh. I liked, I liked the animation. Did you spot, like, the guy from Imagine Dragons is in it, oh, isn't he? Oh, I know, yeah. it's fucking irritating. Yeah, yeah, there's no need for that. <laughs> Can people stop doing that? Like, when we put Ed Sheeran in Game of Thrones, let's just stop that. Let's just stop mm-hmm. doing that. <laughs> yeah, we should have stopped after Nick Cage in the assassination of Jesse James. That's the last time it's allowed to have happened. Do you mean Nick Cave or Nick Cage? Nick Cave, not Nick, Nick Cage, Cage, obviously. That'd be insane. That would have, been, that would have made, somehow made that film even better if Nicolas Cage was in it. <laughs> oh, my word. Um, I think next week, actually, a little tease is our look forward to 2022 um, episode. And I mentioned it mm. briefly there, but have you guys seen the new Nicolas Cage film trailer? I have not seen the trailer yet. I'm excited by the concept. Of uh, it, do you know the concept of the film, Matt? Um, it's called. Oh, I've forgotten the name now. It's the impossible weight. It's, oh, the, it's the unbearable weight, weight of incredible talent or something. Yeah. Um, it's a film basically where Pedro Pascal is a millionaire who hires Nicolas Cage, who is playing a version of himself, to come to his party and perform scenes from some of his most fa- iconic roles for him. <laughs> And things go wrong. Okay, uh, it's gonna be good. I'm telling you now, it's gonna be good. Almost as good as Bullet Train, and you'll hear more about that next week. <laughs> I'm excited about that. I I love the fact that Nick Cage's latter career has become like a warped meta version of Liam Neeson's change into an action star. Yeah, like Nick Cage has done the same thing, except it's all about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not about action you- films. It's Nick Cage 
plays a series of roles in which he is Nick Cage. I haven't seen Pig yet, which came out this year, which a lot of people genuinely say is one of the best films of the year. I do need to watch that because when Nicolas Cage is good, he is genuinely good. (laughs) He's not just a a joke. (laughs) He's a frightening paintbrush of an actor. (laughs) Uh, He's he's wonderful. Uh, Right. Um, Was that your one, Cardi? That is mine, yes. I forgot you, what this we is were the last. About. That was Arcane. Yeah, right, this is the, the last, last one. one. Um, we don't often talk about comedy on this podcast because because we're not funny easy enough to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> funny enough these days. Fucking go woke, go broke. You know what oh, I mean? Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> um, the, oh, but no. the comedy that I don't think I've given any or enough time to talking about on here is the winner of my award for the highest number of lines that have utterly infected my waking life, uh, which I give to I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson, Mm -hmm. which season two came out this year. Season one, like, just destroyed my ability to communicate with some people because I only talk in lines from season one. And season two did exactly the same thing again. So my vocabulary with some people is just shouting stuff at them. And so I just thought I'd write down a series of lines from I Think You Should Leave Season 2 <laughs> that I will never have leave my head. Go ahead. So I've got... What a crop! Which I say about anything <laughs> oh, no. when it's good. Okay, good. Uh, they said that to me at a dinner! It's another <laughs> one that I say a lot. <laughs> uh, a sadder, a sadder <laughs> one. There's too much fucking shit on me. <laughs> I've never heard you say any of these. I might try and trigger these from you. You don't watch it. I don't watch it. I mean, the only time I've watched this was actually like E3 2019 when it was us three Mm. actually, and we'd come back from the IGN E3 party all quite quite lubricated, Uh, (laughs) and uh, probably at like two a.m. ordered massive cheeseburgers and watched that episode with the baby contest in it or whatever. (laughs) That's the only memory I have of this. I have no memory of this. (laughs) I watched the first season. Oh, I think you should leave. Like two weeks ago, and had no memory that I'd ever come into contact with them before. You were very well lubricated, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to push through. I'm scared about how much I need wine, which is something that <laughs> I definitely think anyway. That's a good line. Uh, that's not slicked back. That's pushed back about hair is a good okay. one. Uh, I do that a lot. You gotta give is another one that I say to people. <laughs> is that a good line? <laughs> yeah. You have to see it. This is okay. the point. Okay. And then finally, a longer one. If I were a farmer and Eddie Munster came in and started kicking my corn, you would understand how I could be a bit upset. That show is the best comedy show. It's the best sketch show since Limmy's show, which is uh, just astonishingly good. Tim Robinson just has this amazing ability as a person to just say one phrase over and over again in a really strange way until you can't get it out of your head. Like the other day he appeared on a clip from Tim Heidegger does a podcast called Office Hours and he just turned up in the audience of it and called everything Tim Heidecker had ever done his career a cash grab. But he would just say, that's a cash grab. And he just says it over and over again until it doesn't matter what (laughs) Tim Heidecker says back to him. You know he's going to somehow turn it into a cash grab and it's fucking (laughs) hilarious. Maybe I I need to give it it a proper good go. It's the best. It's mm-hmm. so good, man. 
Um, and you can do it all in two hours. Like they're 10 minute yeah. episodes or 15 minute episodes. It's, it's, it's so good. I love it. There we go. Those stuff. are our awards for the year. Yeah, sorry, June. I don't. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah. June. Good. Boring ending award. Oh, come on. The end. Um, That's outrageous <laughs> behaviour. Um, yeah, okay. One last award. <laughs> Just a bookend with something horrible. Um, if you've got any alternative movie or TV awards Ooh. or games ones, if you'd listen to the other episode, uh, email them to us, IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. We might make our first feedback section of the year a bunch of alternative awards. Why not that? Um, I would love to hear what, what strange ways you have to connect to things that you've enjoyed. Hmm. Um, I don't know if there's anything else to say. I'm freaking out yeah. that we haven't done the end of the uh, search, but we don't do that, mate. No, no, because and there's no feedback just because, yeah, we haven't got a lot of time, I'm afraid. Uh, no. It's almost Christmas. I just hope you have all this, but this is going out Christmas Eve. Everyone have a lovely Christmas. Oh, my God. Why haven't we been putting sleigh bells in the background the whole time? <laughs> Jesse, retrospectively put sleigh bells over everything we've just said. Is Jesse editing this? I thought I was. That's a result if I'm not editing this. That's... Oh, I believe it's Jesse doing it. Is it? Oh, fantastic. It shouldn't be you. Oh, good. Um, if Jesse is hearing this, sorry. Uh, I didn't realise there was any confusion. Uh, right. With that, let's go and drink a big cup of mulled pine. Bye. Yeah, see ya. Bye. Hello, this is Editor Jesse, coming to you live from Google Translate. Hope you enjoyed the sleigh bells, but most importantly, happy holidays. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this and reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales.